Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. Wow, ladies and gentlemen, we have a great question all the way from Nigeria. A young man asks a question about whether or not it's okay to cheat if your opponent is cheating, particularly politically, because in Nigeria, there is a a dispute, a fight for the country between Islam and Christianity. This young man is asking, I know the Muslims are cheating. They're trying to get political power. They're trying to put down Christians. Are, are, are we allowed to cheat then to even the playing field? It could take us the whole program to address this question. We're going to get to it a little bit later. And somebody who has just joined Cross-Examined is going to help me answer that question. He is Dr. John Ferrer. I don't know if you've heard of John before. He has his Ph.D. in philosophy of religion and ethics. And he and I both went to Southern Evangelical Seminary together back about 15 or 20 years ago. And so he's joined us now as a speaker, as a researcher, as a writer. And since ethics is his forte, I thought it would be a great time to introduce John, Dr. John, to you, ladies and gentlemen, because he's going to walk through this question and maybe some other questions today with me. So it's great having John on. John, how are you? I'm doing all right. A little cold out there, but I'm okay. Yeah, he's all the way from Iowa right now, where it's like 17 degrees. Now, mm -hmm. you may have heard the name Ferrer before. It might not be because of John. Uh, you probably heard the old adage, behind every great man is a very surprised mother-in-law. Well, actually, no, you, you, it goes like this. Behind every great man, there's a great woman. Well, sometimes it's reverse. Behind, be, behind every great woman, there's a great man. Uh, the name Ferrer may be familiar to you because John's wife is Hillary Morgan Ferrer, the great Hillary Morgan Ferrer, who heads Mama Bear Apologetics. And John helped research and edit the two books, which are the top two books in apologetics most of the time on Amazon, ladies and gentlemen, the Mama Bear Apologetics books. And we thought it would be great to have John as part of Cross-Examine because he is so well-trained in everything apologetics. And he was supporting what his wife Hillary has been doing. He's going to continue to do that. But we wanted to give him an opportunity to do this full-time, so he's joined us. And John, just so our viewers and listeners can get a little bit of uh, background on where you came from, how did you get from uh, your your childhood to where you are now. Give us the, uh, the kind of the two-minute survey. <laughs> well, I was born at a very young age. That's and... right. I was born in bed with a lady. Sorry, I had to be close <laughs> to my mom. Right? Yeah. Um, I, I, I am a Southern boy, uh, born, and, born and raised. And um, growing up, my older brother was kind of the black sheep of the family and it turned out over the years that he identified as atheist mm -hmm. and we had a christian upbringing baptist background um the rest of us were christian we had a profession of faith and all of that 
and, but he was an atheist. And so I would have these discussions with him. He was still a good big brother. He looked out for me. He cared about me. So I, I, I couldn't quite uh, assume that the waking world was predominantly Christian because that's where most of my friends were. That's the church I went to. That's the school I went to. I just couldn't assume it's all Christian because uh, sharing a room with me was an atheist, my brother. And so I think that set me on a different track, those conversations I had with him. And over the years, I came to really value that kind of conversation where we could discuss controversial issues and, and tough topics. And we had to have reasons for what we believe. We couldn't just say, well, that's what I was taught. We had to understand the why behind it, not just what to say, what to believe. Well, long story short, by the time I was uh, graduating high school, I'd felt a call to ministry. Um, ironically, when you're called to ministry, often you're the last one to realize that everybody else sees it a mile away. Uh, well, that was my case. I went to college planning to go into local church ministry. Um, I got a a uh, bachelor's degree in religion, minored in, or a, a double major in communication, and then went on to seminary. And fortunately, the, the school closest to my home was Southern Evangelical Seminary. And I had kind of a pet interest in apologetics at that time. So I studied under greats like um, Gary Habermas and, um, and Norman Geisler. Um, so I got a tremendous experience of, of apologetics, not just as a separate field, but as a disposition for studying the Bible, as a disposition for conducting local church ministry. It's not just a side note or a field over here to go, go toy around with. It's, it's more an orientation we have in how we go about everything else that the church does. And that's what I learned through uh, Southern Evangelical. So it was a great experience, um, but it great experiences have a, a bad habit of ruining your plans because uh, <laughs> I thought I was going to go into local church ministry. And I did a little bit during that time, but I didn't become a head pastor. I, I, I veered into education, the Christian education specifically. I spent about six years uh, during my PhD work at Southwestern Seminary. I spent about six years teaching apologetics at uh, Pantego Christian Academy, uh, also Texas Wesleyan University, and a little bit at Tarrant County College. I would teach world religions, ethics, logic, but at the at the high school, I had also apologetics classes and worldview classes. Um, so I was, I was kind of building my resume, doing debates during that time. Uh, I started uh, two websites, and um, Hillary's ministry was just starting to take off around 2014, 2015, and then her book was in 2018. And a lot of that, I think, um, well, first off, she has to get all the credit for the voice, the tone, the the vision, the ambition for it. Um, I was just kind of a, um, a sounding board for a lot of the thoughts she had. So we'd have, mm. we'd discuss it. Uh, but she, it's not like uh, she's my my cover to enter women's ministry, and it's really me <laughs> being the brains behind it. No, right. she she's uh, plenty of a great mind herself, mm -hmm. and we just had conversations, and and I'd give her feedback and stuff like that. Uh, but her books have just done tremendously well. Mm -hmm. uh, she's also had health issues. Um, I won't go into all of it just now, but um, I had to make career decisions so that we could make sure we had full time insurance and we had sufficient pay so that. Uh, she, we wouldn't rely on her income. Well, 
those decisions uh, eventually led me into um, taking a factory job at a local um, assembly line. Uh, if you've heard of Pella Windows, I worked at uh, Pella Windows and Doors for a little over three years. And then I took a job in woodworking at Terpstra Woodworking. Uh, shout out to Brad and Seth. Um, so I, I was doing these things so that I could I could have insurance and I could have the freedom to be able to start. Um, so she would have the the support she needed, the benefits, but also so we could I could have the freedom to travel with her because as Mama mm-hmm. Bear Apologetics was picking up and the book was starting to sell really well and she was getting speaking invitations with her health limitations, she couldn't just pack up a bag and go. She needed help to to handle all of that. So I had to be able to free up the weekend. So again, more career choices to be able to move that direction and be a support for her. So but you I decided, don't regret any of it. Oh, no, no. You decided to be a carpenter and uh, mm-hmm. there was some other famous carpenter way back when, and now you're actually more than a carpenter. I was you're, just, <laughs> I, I knew you couldn't pass up that. I couldn't, I couldn't resist yeah. that, man. Uh, no, yeah, I mean, you were working uh, as a carpenter for several years to try and support Hillary's ministry. And we More thought, less, well, yeah. um, you're so, you've got a PhD in philosophy, religion, and ethics. You know, apologetics. You've been to Southern Evangelical Seminary. You need mm. to be doing this full time. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, because of your donations, he can. And I want to thank everybody that helped us reach our matching goal uh, this uh, past month. Because of your support, we're able to hire people like John and reach more people on college campuses, more people on high school campuses, more people online. So thank you so much. We're going to delve into the ethical question of the day right after the break. We're also going to talk a little bit about what happened to DeMar Hamlin. So don't go anywhere. We're back in just two minutes. I'm Frank Turek. Back in two. Welcome back to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with me, Frank Turk, on the American Family Radio Network website, crossexamine.org. That's crossexamine with a D on the end of it, .org. We're talking today about a very difficult ethical question that has a lot of moving pieces to it. We're going to get into it in just a couple of minutes. We're also introducing Dr. John Ferrer to you all because John has joined Crossexamined as a speaker, researcher, writer, uh, and uh, you're going to hear a lot more from him. He has his Ph.D. in philosophy of religion and ethics, so he's perfect for the question we're going to discuss today. But, John, before we, we get into that, there was an event that occurred this week that has ca- captivated the nation. Uh, DeMar Hamlin of the Buffalo Bills, a safety, as we all know, um, had some sort of cardiac event on the field during Monday night football, CPR-administered. Uh, players obviously very shaken up. The game was canceled. Um, and so much has come uh, uh, out of this, particularly with regard to prayer and God. I mean, on ESPN of all places, you have shocked announcers actually leading prayers on, on air live. Uh, you have coaches and players kneeling on the field to ask for a miracle to heal DeMar. You, I mean, you you have people everywhere now talking about prayer and talking about God. I just saw the coach of the Buffalo Bills, Sean McDermott. I don't know if he's a Christian or not. He might be because he said uh, in this press release just a couple of days ago 
that uh, he thanked everybody involved, and then he thanked God for the miracle and also said this is to bring glory to God. I'm pretty sure that Zach Taylor, who is the coach of the Bengals, is a Christian. I know there are several players on the Bengals who are. I'm not sure about the Bills, but it appears that Sean McDermott uh, is speaking the language as if he is a Christian. I think DeMar Hamlin himself is. But what do you take away from this now public display of prayer and reliance on God? What do, what do we learn from this, John? Well, a couple thoughts come to mind. First mm-hmm. off, I think a lot of the sports world and what's presented and filtered through mainstream media can have sort of an artificial secularity. Like like there there are religious undercurrents that are that are toned down because uh, it's not politically correct. It doesn't address the target audience, but these are still real and powerful influences that help shape the the these men and women in professional sports, uh, cultivating their character, uh, informing their work ethic and their their uh, team spirit, and and there's just a lot of uh, not just religion generally, but Christianity in particular, and the character question. Um, shouldn't be left out when it comes to a deeper understanding of how sports works and what it means for for um, youth coming up and, and learning to be adults, maturing, uh, but adults too in, in the, the competition and spirit of the game. Uh, faith is a real difference maker oftentimes, mm-hmm. <clears throat> but we often don't see that that reality penetrated until there's a crisis moment, just like the rest right. of our lives can be. We can go along uh, happily undisturbed till, till something just forces us to remember, oh, all of this could be over in a minute. Am I prepared? Am yeah. I ready to meet my maker? And I, that's a jarring reality. These guys are, are living on the brink of, of life and death uh, sometimes with the, the amount of sports. And it's even, even more so with, with combat sports. Uh, mixed martial arts, because that's that's a more direct uh, metaphor for mm-hmm. warfare, where it is life and death. Yeah, this this young man had to have his heart shocked back into rhythm or shocked back from being stopped. And yet we have all been now shocked into realizing that we are mortal, that this could end, as you just mentioned, at any minute. When things are going along smoothly, a lot of times we don't think of God at all. It's only when these events occur that we are reminded that life is fragile. We're hanging by a thread. At any minute, any of us could be gone. And so events like these are not uh, extraordinary in the sense that uh, they, well, they're out of the ordinary, that's true, but they are actually demonstrating to us what life really is other yeah. than the mundane events that go on every day they tend to they tend to lull us i think into kind of an anesthetized state that oh yeah this is just going to yeah. go on forever when these events occur everybody's suddenly awoken and we don't yeah it's a splash of water to the yeah. face it's it's jarring and yeah, did you well, hear what he what he said like he just didn't say it but he wrote it he when wrote he it, was yeah. finally coming to he yeah. said did we win did we win <laughs> and, and that's so appropriate right, he's a right. football player right that's that's his that's his career he cares about it and i thought it was a weird contrast with what a lot of the commentators were saying they they would often say well ultimately at the end of the day it's just a game it doesn't matter mm-hmm. uh and and there's a sense in which they're correct 
Yes. If a person gives their whole selves to their game and they sacrifice their family or their faith to do it, then their priorities are out of whack. And that's not a well, that, that's not a, a, that's not how to live. Mm-hmm. Um, but even though we can say that in a sense, it's all just a game, uh, we don't want to leave it there. Um, I, I think we can still agree with the author of Ecclesiastes, who I think was Solomon, mm-hmm. uh, who said, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. And he's talking about everything under the sun. That includes football. Uh, that includes all sorts of relationships. Ultimately, all of that's going to pass away. And, and in that sense, everything in itself is meaningless. But here's the point. The game isn't just a game. As a game, it's meaningless, but as a sign of greater things, it can be an access point into ultimate reality. What do you mean by uh, that? And Explain that. Unpack okay, that. Okay. So with we'll take football as the key example because that's mm-hmm. what, what's at hand. Ultimately, from a biblical perspective, everything, everything, absolutely everything is to point our attention back to God. Mm-hmm. It's ultimately to remind us that we've got an infinite void in our, our hearts, and none of this worldly stuff will ever fill it. It will only remind us of how empty we are inside. Uh, but ultimately, all of it's supposed to point us back to God in some way, shape, or form, directly or indirectly. And with football, I think we've got a great metaphor for spiritual warfare and or, or for earthly combat. So mm-hmm. it's a metaphor for war. Mm-hmm. Uh, hopefully it's a safe way for guys to get out their competitive instincts without actually killing each other. It's, it's a metaphor safe, for yeah. war. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then war is a metaphor, earthly war is a metaphor for spiritual warfare. And spiritual warfare, at least from a Christian perspective, is basically the inauguration campaign of the returning king. It is Christ coming back to reclaim what's his own. And he's going to ward off all enemies who have have resisted him. And and reclaim us saying, you are mine. Reclaim mm-hmm. all believers. And so football, understood correctly, is going to point us to things of not, not of no importance, but of ultimate importance, mm-hmm. understood correctly. And I think that's, that's a very biblical Christian way to understand reality, to look at everything as a sign to point our attention back to God. Yeah, well said. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, you, may, you just heard Dr. John say, return of the king. Tolkien got... <laughs> Uh, his ideas from the Bible. That's why the Lord of the Rings uh, finale there is called Return of the King. And you can Mm -hmm. see more of that in our book, Hollywood Heroes. Uh, That's all pointing back to reality. And uh, you said earlier that, well, football itself is meaningless. It's only meaningless if there is no God. Actually, everything matters, right? I mean, everything Mm -hmm. matters in life. You know, we say, oh yeah, it's just a game, but how many people are actually, their livelihood is dependent on the game of football being played. Yeah. Uh, it, it does matter. We wouldn't say to somebody, well, your job is meaningless if, you know, if, if the guy's an accountant. Well, your job's meaningless. Well, no, it's not meaningless. It's meaningful to my family. It's meaningful yeah. to people I'm trying to support. It's meaningful to the clients yeah. I'm trying to serve, right? So football is, is, is another vocation that does have meaning to people. Yeah. I understand what they mean when they say, well, it doesn't really ultimately matter who wins and loses. Yeah, yeah. But in a certain sense, it does, because yeah. those lives are changed uh, by the outcome that happens on the field. But it was complete—go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, sorry. And without having to jump automatically to ultimate reality, I think mm-hmm. there's still lesser spheres where uh, football, uh, just with any other sports or games or play, 
um, can still be very serious business. I've got a oh, yeah. got a, a friend who's just an excellent father. He's he's raising raising uh, children in a wonderful way. Um, I'll call him out, Joe Hawksberg, and he's a he's a mm. professional artist. He does great work. Uh, go check him out on Etsy. But he he argues he's of the firm conviction that play is serious business. Mm. Uh, play as play. Uh, is is laughing and and imitating and all sorts of different different uh, fun modes of learning and interacting with the world, and and this is the natural language of childhood, and, and it's part of what can help make our our human experience uh, more palatable, more interactive, uh, more enjoyable. Because God didn't create a bread and water black and white world; He created right. a world with with dad jokes. <laughs> with, with, with hot sauce, with uh-huh. with uh, sweets, with right. with games, with play, he created a world for his creation to enjoy. Yeah, and it's, that, it's, all of it, that is a reminder of God. It's interesting that people rightfully always ask the question, "If God, why evil?" Nobody ever asked the question, "If God, why pleasure?" Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. there's so much pleasure in the world too. That's yeah. that that we that we just kind of say, oh, that we'll just take that for granted. Why is there pleasure, right? If yeah. there is no God, why is first of all, why yeah. is there anything? We can go down that road if we yeah. want to. But uh, if 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 you really uh, think about what goes on on a football field, it is kind of a metaphor for life, uh, mm-hmm. and is a metaphor for spiritual warfare. And I also think, you know, people say it's just a waste of time. It's just entertainment. Well, you could say that, but you could also say that we have divisions in our country right now over politics and religion and that kind of thing. But notice how everybody comes together over football. <laughs> notice that you might, mm-hmm. your neighbor might have a, might be an atheist. You might be a Christian. Your neighbor's an atheist. But if you mm-hmm. like the same football team, okay, man, come on over. Let's watch. You, you have exactly. a common bond with people yeah. through, uh, through being a fan of a particular mm-hmm. sport or a particular team. And even if they're the opposite team, yeah. at least you got something to talk about. You yeah. still come over and watch the game together, right? Yeah. So there are things that are redeeming, many things that are redeeming, even about sports. Yeah. So uh, I just thought it would be a good thing to talk about. We're coming up mm-hmm. to a break right now. You're listening okay. to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. And I, I by the way, continue to pray for... DeMar, the Buffalo Bills, the Cincinnati Bengals, everybody else on the field, because it is going to be difficult for many of these players to go back and play, and we're coming up to playoff time right now. We want good things to come out of this, and good things have. Pray for his continued recovery. It's amazing. Americans have stepped up. The guy has raised like $7 million while he's asleep for for kids' toys. It's just incredible. Anyway, we're going to come back with uh, Dr. John Ferrer and talk about this amazing ethical question from Nigeria. Don't go anywhere. We're back in two. Ladies and gentlemen, my guest today, Dr. John Ferrer, is a graduate of Southern Evangelical Seminary. I am as well. Elisa Childers is going there. Melissa Doherty is going there. Many other people you know in the apologetics world are either are going there or uh, have gone there. And there's a scholarship. It's named after me for some reason. Some guy gave a lot of money and named it after me. I didn't ask for this, ladies and gentlemen. But if you want to get some uh, great apologetics knowledge and even get a degree, go to ses.edu forward slash Frank, ses.edu forward slash Frank, and you can even get half off due to this scholarship that's out there. You want to be a part of that. 
I also want to mention there's a, a number of events that I'm going to be participating in coming up. I'm going to be out in Manafree, Manafee, California. That's kind of south of Ontario on your way to San Diego. That is going to be, let's see, what dates are those? Oh, that's going to be January 22nd, Sunday, January 22nd, doing the morning services at Revival Christian Fellowship, and then an evening, two-hour, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. Uh, then the following week, I'm going to be with my friends Natasha Crane and Elisa Childers out near Dayton, Ohio, between Cincinnati and Dayton, a place called Troy, for the first Unshaken Conference uh, you can see all the details on our website, crossexamine.org. And next week, we're going to have Elisa and Natasha on to talk about what's going on in that conference. How can we be unshaken in the face of a culture that is literally crumbling under our feet? What can we do to stand for Christ in this uh very difficult culture that keeps getting more and more anti-Christian. All right, let's get to the topic now that we want to talk about the rest of the program. This actually came from a, 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 a young writer or a young person who lives in, in Nigeria. He writes this. Imagine that you're in a ring of boxing with an opponent who is breaking all the rules and nobody is calling him to order. Would you keep following the rules? To be more specific, this analogy is to capture the imbalance of political power between the Muslim North and the Christian South of Nigeria. As I'm sure you already know, the survival of Islam is hinged on political power and, and domination. Our Muslim brothers are extremely political, while the Christians are, for the most part, passive. But besides the political docility of the Christians, our Muslims don't really pay, uh, play fair. For example, Muslims go as far as registering underage voters. This is one of the major reasons northern votes beat southern votes in federal elections. Not that the number of Muslims is above that of Christians. There's a lot more of their shenanigans that I, 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 I'll I rather not name here. The situation is far uglier than I've decided to capture at this present time. So, how do you see this? How do you play fair with an opponent who doesn't play fair? Unquote. And this could even be almost life and death. Is it ever right to lie? Is it ever right to cheat? What do we say about this? Dr. John Ferrer, PhD in ethics. Tell us what we what we're supposed to think about this. Go ahead. Oh sir. gosh, that's that's a big lead in, but uh -huh. uh, I had a few thoughts as I, I was hearing you read that. Um, I think it's first important. Well, overview. No, I don't think this is a case where it's okay to lie or cheat. That's mm -hmm. that's the simple answer. We uh, will get to, I, to instances where it might be okay. We'll, we'll there, get there. there yeah, there, there we'll are the there. limit cases. We'll get there. Right. Um, right okay. I think it's important to do a heart check first. Right. Uh, do you fear God as king and love God as father more than you fear or love anyone else? I think that's that's an important heart check here because if we're operating out of fear, oh no, this is going to go away, we might be doubting God's sovereignty, we might be sacrificing faith, uh, we, we might not be remembering big picture stuff and long game stuff that as Christians, we, we need to be anchored in stuff of ultimate reality, not just caught mm -hmm. up in the meaningless realm. We're, we're remembering how these things become meaningful because they're connecting us reconnecting us to things of ultimate importance. Um, 
So 1 Peter 3.15, we quoted a lot as Christian apologists, but in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord, King over all. That's, that's the starting point before we're in a good position to trust our deliberations about where to go from here. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, that passage, 1 Peter 3.15 and 16, we often jump to that apologetics chunk because that's, that's the one where it says, uh, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But we often forget the context there that it is a persecution context. Right. It's a context of you are going to, going to be forced, pressured, uh, uh, challenged in your faith, and potentially you're going to lose jobs, you're going to lose, uh, in today's situation, uh, voting, you're going to lose access, you're going to lose opportunities, because that's kind of how persecution works. So if we if we expand on that, uh, that uh, biblical passage a little bit, we see there's a lot more going on than just yay apologetics. It says in verse 9, starting in verse 9, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. Stopping right there, we've got an answer to the question. That's right. Don't repay evil with evil or Mm -hmm. insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. We have to have a stronger, more influential blessing than the evil they're dishing out to us. Um, Repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing for whatever for whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech so there's your response to lying uh, they must turn from evil and do good they must seek peace and pursue it for the eyes of the lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer but the face of the lord is against those who do evil who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good but even if you should suffer for what is right you are blessed. Do not fear the threats. Do not be frightened. And that's mm. from there. That's verse 14. From there it goes into that 15 and 16 passage that apologists love to quote. But in your heart, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that is in you. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. All right, let's, let's, let's marinate on that for a second. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. I, it's been put this way as well. It's better to suffer evil than to do evil. Yes. And that appears to be sort of what Peter is saying right here. Now, as I said a minute ago, there may be instances where lying is okay, we'll get to it, but this does not appear to be one of those instances, and we'll draw a distinction yeah. here in just a minute. Uh, it would be better to work as as diligently as you can on your on Muslims in your country to try and, first of all, bring Christ to them mm-hmm. and encourage them to play things fairly. Uh, obviously, if they do become Christians, they ought to do that. What is the danger, John, though? If we go down this road... Instead of doing what's right and trusting God for the results, if we go down this road of saying, well, my opponent is cheating, I'm going to cheat too, to level the playing field. In fact, there are people in this country that are saying, hey, these elections aren't even fair. You know, one side is cheating. Maybe we ought to cheat too, right? What happens to us if we do that? What's the risk we're taking when we do that? I Not would, just to getting caught, but what's the risk to our souls? Yeah, yeah. 
I think if you win by compromising your character, compromising on your faith, dishonoring God, if that's what it takes to win, then you've lost. Mm. Because remember, big picture and long game. Big picture, this is God's sovereign, God's in control. Long game, we recognize that that we're part of a long trail of history where God is is doing these incursion efforts to redeem man, to rescue his people, to reconcile people back to him. And when we remember this long game and the big picture, uh, a lot of these uh, worldly uh, uh, challenges, obstacles, competitions that, that we're set up against, uh, it's not that they don't matter, uh, but they don't matter as much as the greater reality, which is what we're living for and mm. what we're rooted in. Mm. Um, if you compromise your character and you won the game at the end of it, have you really won? Yeah. Because this Lewis, game... Yeah. Now, I was going to say, C.S. Lewis talks about this. I want to say it's in Mere Christianity where he basically says that if if you start doing this, uh, then you become even more of a monster than the person you're trying to oppose. He doesn't use those yes. exact words, but yeah. you're 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 going down that road of of uh, then one lie after another lie, one cheat after another cheat, because it's all for a good cause. Yeah, right. It's for a good cause. I, I it just popped into my mind years ago. There was Bernard Nathanson, who was an abortionist, and you are an expert on this issue. In fact. Uh, pretty soon, ladies and gentlemen, if you go to crossexamine.org, you'll see a whole page devoted to uh, Dr. John Ferrer here and some of his talks. One of them has to do with abortion, maybe more than one. I remember Bernard Nathanson years ago uh, saying that um, he was a pro-abortionist and an abortion doctor, and uh, he was putting forth a false stat on how many women mm-hmm. were killed in back alley abortions. He, w- he would say something like 5,000 a year. When it yeah. was revealed that it, it was a handful, it was you yeah. know less than ten, cool. yeah. right? Something yeah. like that. Definitely he was no more was, than like hundred fifty or something. Oh, oh yeah, but well, I mean, it's, it's, it, all yeah. of those lies matter. We're right, not right. denying it, but the number right. was exaggerated to to uh, for it was a political football. Right, and that's what he said. He said it was just a useful figure for the cause. Mm-hmm. Right, he would just invent it in order to advance the cause because the ends justify the means in that case. Uh, what, uh, who is our real enemy here, John? Is it, is, it, is it people that we might be fighting against politically? Here in Nigeria, the Christians are fighting politically, well, if they're fighting at all, against the Muslims who want to take over the country and impose Sharia law. Mm-hmm. Who are they really fighting against? Well, when we remember the big picture, we recognize mm-hmm. that that the enemies of God are many, and often we aren't really siding up to Him the, the way we should. Uh, so, recasting it, we're looking, we're kind of looking at reality in such a way that we can see through it to what God's trying to do, what God's at work doing. And one of the interesting things about this question is um, they're basically speaking with all this vigor and and energy of yearning for justice, which is a good thing, Mm -hmm. yearning for fair play, yearning uh, for for rights and human dignity to be honored in all of these constitutional and civil and human rights. And there's something noble and responsible about that. But being willing to compromise on it it's almost like you're forgetting who the real enemy is that we're we're waging war against satan mm. uh, there's there's a bigger battle at work here that is bigger than um than uh political parties competing with each other over control of the house or senate which 
we we in America can relate to the the concern over rigged elections. It's that, <laughs> but but big picture, of course, the real enemy is Satan, and many of these people who we would otherwise call enemies are captives of bad ideas. They're confused and they're deluded. Let's talk more about it right after the break, particularly when it is appropriate to lie. Really? It's appropriate to lie? We'll talk about it right after the break. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. Back in two. Now that Roe v. Wade has been overturned, we can actually save lives, ladies and gentlemen, through the law. The question is, do you know how to do that? We've got a fabulous course starting in just a few days. It's called How to Convince People to Be Pro-Life. It's with the great Scott Klusendorf, the top, in my view, teacher on this issue in the country. Go to crossexamine.org and check out online courses. You'll see it there. It starts January 16th. Equip yourself to save lives. What could be more important than that, ladies and gentlemen? Uh, Equip yourself to do that. Uh, You want to sign up quickly. Even if you listen to this or hear this after the 16th of January, you can still sign up. Check it out. Then February 1st, the great Stephen C. Meyer of the Discovery Institute, Signature in the Cell, Darwin's Doubt, Return of the God Hypothesis is his brand new online course. And if you sign up for the premium version, you're going to be on several Zoom sessions with him to ask him questions. Also, if you want to get your 6th to 8th grader up to speed on apologetics, On the 6th, I think it's the 6th of February, there is a course led by by the great Shanda Fulbright, and I'll be assisting her for a Zoom or two on there. It is called Let's Get Real, Examining the Evidence for God. She just ran it last semester with great success. More kids are going to want to be a part of this one. Check it out at crossexamine.org online courses. All right, let's get back to the question now. Should you ever lie or cheat if your opponent does? We'll, we'll talk about situations where that might actually, lying in particular, might actually be appropriate. But I want to, before we get to that question, ask John, our guest today, Dr. John Frere, who has just joined Cross-Examined as a speaker, writer, apologist. John, we talk about, okay, let's make sure we don't soil our character. But what does that really mean in real life? How do we actually do that when the other side's cheating? That's, that's a very important practical question because you heard in, in the way uh, Austin was asking his question that it sounds like the church, as in his understanding, is largely passive on these matters, mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. tends to avoid politics, just stays out of it. And I think many Christians in America can relate. Often the church doesn't know what to do with political matters and just stays out of it entirely, uh, kind of neutralizes their influence, their, their power, and just says... Uh, turn the other cheek, but I think that's not quite what Jesus was getting at. I think it's it's more nuanced and, and it's going to require more activism, uh, more wisdom, and more discernment so that even if we are turning the other cheek, it, it creates a strategic advantage uh, to disarm the opposition. Uh, so there's more going on here. Just being passive isn't really a viable solution, <clears throat> generally speaking. But I think one of the first uh, caveats to cover all of this uh, comes to us from Alexander Solzhenitsyn, and there's a recent book by Rod Dreher by this Mm -hmm. title. He says, live not by lies. 
We've had Rod on the program. It's a it's a oh, great book and a and, a, and a, a podcast you want to listen to goes back a couple of years ago. Go ahead. So so your your view your viewers and your listeners are probably familiar. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can expect oppressors. They will press you. They can hurt your body, uh, but they can't touch your soul unless you let them. And mm-hmm. lying, letting yourself be captive to deceit and playing along with that sinking to that level is one of the ways you you involve your soul in that exchange and make yourself even more vulnerable and more compromised. Uh, You don't have to be foolhardy, drawing a target on your back or inviting persecution, but neither should you let them make you into a liar. When you start lying and cheating just to stay competitive in their game, you've let them pull you into their game and you've basically lost already because it's their game. It's their Mm. home turf. They're Mm. better at it than you'll be. <clears throat> and soon you'll be no better, <clears throat> sorry, you'll be no better morally, spiritually than they are. Instead, we can use the influence we do have. Voting is only one means of influence. You also have a voice. You've got money. You've got labor. You can volunteer. You've got social media. You've got news media. You've got police. You can raise up your young people or yourself. Uh, go into a career where you can make a positive difference. <clears throat> And that reminds me of the second point here. I think the the practical question can be answered. Get creative with the influence you do have. If folks are stealing the vote, then use other means to, to positively affect change in society. Obey the law, but also cultivate wisdom and exercise your Christian freedom. <clears throat> there are lots of ways to positively influence culture besides just voting uh, and... The, I understand where the question is coming from, mm-hmm. but we need to step back and say, okay, if that's the game that they're playing, what what options are available to us if we're thinking big picture and long game? And I think we can also draw a lot of courage from believers who've gone before us and who've known what it's like to see the other guys not playing fair, the that's other right. guys uh, siege warfare, uh, trying to oppress us, trying to conquer us. Uh, this isn't just in Africa or the U.S., but if we go back to Scripture, we find in the Middle East, you had the Philistines, you had the Assyrians, you had the Babylonians, you have Persians, and you have, uh, just a little side note, all of church history, where the norm in Christian history has been to be persecuted, to be relegated to the margins. That's yeah, the that's- majority— stands for Christianity. That's an important point, John, that a lot of people I don't think recognize is that Christians through most of their history have been in exile. They've been in the minority. And it's yeah. only in this country, due to the, the greatness of this country and how it was started, did Christians actually not be persecuted and be in the majority. Now, when we see that slipping away, we think, oh, we got to cheat in order to get it back, right? No, that's not the right way to go. But John, I do want to ask you this. Suppose... You're in Nazi Germany during World War II, and you're hiding Jews from the Nazis, and you hear a knock at your door. Schnell! Schnell! You open the door. There are two Nazi soldiers there. They say, Hast du hier, Juden? What do you do? (laughs) Um, First, I'd say, what do you say? (laughs) Uh, I don't speak German. Uh, But supposing I did in this scenario... Mm -hmm. If they're if they're asking me where am I hiding the Jews mm-hmm. or something equivalent, um, uh, Hillary uh, brought up a great example of this, and uh, I, I think it speaks to a, a couple nuances. You might say, 
uh, mature believer type of concepts here, namely Christian freedom. Um, the 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 stories told in the hiding place from um, Corey Tinboom and her sister, they had different views on whether it was ethical to lie. Corey Tinboom mm-hmm. was practicing her lying in case the Nazis were to ask her, "Where are you hiding the Jews?" Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I think there's biblical permission for that. Uh, in line with the uh, Hebrew midwives uh, in the early part of Exodus, uh, and Rahab, who hid the two spies. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think there is legitimate cause if you are forced between two options where normally one is evil and the other is evil, you have to pick the lesser evil. Or um, according to what's called graded absolutism, which I think you and I agree on, this is the ethical system that Norm Geisler and others have popularized. Um, it says when you're stuck in a dilemma situation, uh, God will never force you to lie. He, You won't be required uh, to do evil uh, biblically because uh, f- it says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, God will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. He's not going to make you do evil. So how are we to understand that dilemma when it's we have to pick the lesser of two evils? Well, in that context, in that situation, you're talking about a moral event that isn't a normal lying scenario. It's not lying as lying. It's not lying for the sake of, you know, self-interest or serving some lesser evil. It is life-saving. Right. Life-saving is ethical. In that unique context, it's it's ethical. Now, there are other dilemmas that could be the case, but the famous one that, that you give illustrates that. So I think Corey Tinboom is exactly right. It can be ethically justified. If you're being forced to help someone murder someone else or lie, I think you need to lie. But it's not lying as such. The, right. the, this may sound like philosophers speak, but when we step back and look at all the terms we have for deception, we're reminded that there are different moral events that still fall under the broader category of deception. Uh, Is it lying and unethical to bluff in a game of poker? Is it lying to fake a pass in football? Mm -hmm. Is it lying to do a magic trick or tell a story like fiction? Is it lying to act because you're acting like someone else? It's not you. That's a kind of deception. Well, obviously that language uh, is there because we're dealing with different morally weighted scenarios. And it's unfortunate that we don't have a different term for when someone is lying to life save, because that would help clarify that we really are talking about two different things that are called by the same word. Right. Yeah. You uh, have lying. a greater, you have a greater obligation to save an innocent life than you do to tell the truth to a guilty murderer. Yeah. And this is what, as you mentioned, uh, Dr. Norman Geiser unpacks in his book, Christian Ethics, which is a great book to get, <clears> by <throat> the way. If you want to go further on any of these issues, just get Geisler's book, Christian Ethics, which uh, has been updated since he originally wrote it. It's got every virtual, virtually almost every ethical, major ethical issue you can imagine in that book. Great book. Yeah, it is a great book. We're coming up toward the end of the show here. This show goes so quickly, John, especially when I have you on it, because uh, we we just love talking about these issues. So the bottom line is, is that, no, you're not going to cheat to get some sort of advantage. But there are biblical examples of people lying to save lives. Yeah. Uh, because you have a greater moral duty to save an innocent human being than you do to tell the truth to a guilty murderer. 
And, uh, and can I add? Yeah, go ahead quickly, though. When you say that, and I agree, it's in a dilemma context where you right. don't have another option. We're not That's just right. looking for opportunities to lie to save a life. That's right. We're looking for opportunities where you're forced to do one or the other. Exactly. And I would suggest also that from the hiding place, Corey Timboom's sister had a conviction, a personal conviction against lying there. Uh-huh. And even though, she, though technically there might be Christian freedom, generally speaking, for that person, they may, may not have freedom. Just like Christians have general liberty to drink alcohol, but an mm-hmm. alcoholic doesn't have that personal freedom. And this All person right. might not have that individual freedom to do that. I can respect that. All right. Thank you so much, John. That's Dr. John Ferrer. Sorry, we're coming up to the end of the show. We're going to continue this conversation on the cross-examined community. So if you want to hear it, join the cross-examined community. Go to crossexamine.org. You'll see it there. And I'll see you here next week. God bless.